0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Contineros podcast. The podcast is sponsored by Port Pro, the leading operating system for drainage carriers. Schedule a demo today at portpro.io, and don't forget to mention Contineros for 10% off. Today, we got Matt Shrap in the studio on a second visit. Today, we're discussing all things clean truck related, as much as we can cover and we're just gonna get right into it thank you for coming
1: thanks for having me Luis thanks
0: for my coffee cheers (laughs) all right finish this sentence December 31st 2022 is the last day for 2007 through
1: 2009 engines to continue legally operating in California
0: The whole state, not just the ports.
1: Not just the ports, the whole state. There are exemptions that people can apply for. You get a thousand mile a year exemption. You can get special ag provision exemptions. You can get a low knocks counties exemption, which is like some of the upper Northern California counties. Um, But you have to apply for it, it has to be processed by the ARB. But otherwise, if you got a seven through nine engine, it's pretty much all bets are off. Registration will be denied in 2023 if it hasn't already. And, you know, you've got to turn that truck over one way or another.
0: Is there a website where they can go look at each of those exceptions or exemptions? You know,
1: unfortunately for these, because there's a couple different things. So you have the exemptions within the rule itself, and you can try to go to www.arb.ca.gov, which is the ARB's website and search their truck stop or just put in ARB truck stop into Google or Yahoo or whatever search engine you're using. And it'll bring you to what the ARB calls the truck stop. And then you can navigate through the different rules there. They do explain some of the exemptions. They also explain how to get the exception for the DMV registration because they communicate through their databases back to the DMV if somebody has a valid exemption that they've that they've applied for and had approved. So that's probably the best place to get it. You get it straight from the source. Uh, we, we have a few resources up, but for the most part, the state's going to be the clearinghouse of that. It sounds like
0: a lot of digging you got to do. Like,
1: Yeah. ARB, we've always, you know, I've been doing this close to 20 years dealing with the Air Resources Board, and they leave a lot to be desired when it comes to outreach. You know, they'll send a postcard in the mail to any registered truck and saying your truck may be out of compliance at the end of this year, they'll send letters. You know they try to do outreach webinars. I mean they, they do these webinars at you know ten in the morning on the middle of the week, which is difficult for someone who's operating a truck to take yeah. part in a three-hour webinar. You know that's populated with a lot of um, you know folks who are selling equipment or trying to come up with some new better mousetrap for compliance so you don't you don't get a lot down to the brass tacks and the stuff can be confusing man like you know i mean it's overwhelming sometimes i read this stuff i've been reading regulatory policy like i said for years and sometimes i'm just like what are they talking about so you know we try to be as proactive as possible with education and you know i'll chime in on some of the you know the on the conteneros site when i can if somebody's kind of Getting a little too far over their skis with thinking they're, you know, interpreting <laughs> ARB rules. And yeah. I just want to make sure everyone has the right information because ARB does not do a great job at it. What about grandfathered
0: in? Can you explain a little more about how that comes into play? Yeah. And would that apply to the, the newer models that will be allowed?
1: Exactly. So the statewide standard in 1123 is 2010 engine right? Yeah. So as long as you have a 2010 engine model year, and it's important for folks to check because I've seen 2012 trucks across many OEMs that they have 2009 engines in them. So even though you got a 2012 truck, you go pop the hood and look at the engine tag, it says 2009. And so if you have a 07 through 09 engine, you're you're out. But if you have a 2010 engine then you basically have up until the useful life kicks in to have to start reporting that truck and then eventually take it out of service once it reaches those useful life thresholds. How does that happen, the mismatched years? You know, I mean, each individual OEM, sometimes depending on who the customer is, you know, it's like a lot of times some of the largest fleets, that they will work with an OEM to say, you know, especially in the early generation of that stuff, when that first you know DEF and SCR came online, you had larger fleets who went to OEMs and the OEMs had leftover engines, still from 2009, that they would basically build into that truck. But since the truck year was, it would be 2011, if it's a 2010 truck, they have to brand it as a 2012 model year truck, even though the engine's older. So they don't, you know, it's more of like a special kind of exception as opposed to the rule, but. It it can happen. So it's important to take a look at your engine tag to make sure you know what engine you're running.
0: Because my my truck was still allowed, well, some of that year would not be allowed to be brought in Mm -hmm. during during this lifespan. Yeah. Because mine was grandfathered in. That means I couldn't, but... The minute I sold it to someone else, they can't register it at the ports, right? That's kind of like what it protects from. Yeah. Keep it with the same owner?
1: Yeah. Right now, the way the new rule is written, it prevents you from doing that. When I talk to the folks at the ports, they tell me that as long as the VIN exists in the Drake's truck registry in LA Long Beach, then you can sell that truck to somebody else and then still be allowed to operate. Now, this is what they say. They say that you can swap VINs out, but the new rule, the Advanced Clean Fleets rule, prevents you from doing that 100%. So you wouldn't be able to sell your grandfathered-in truck to somebody as soon as they adopt this rule, which is slated for October 27th. As soon as they adopt that rule, essentially it's gotta go through some, you know, Administrative Procedures Act stuff, once it's in effect then more or less you do not have the ability to sell that truck to somebody else to allow to give them the grandfathered
0: so basically 2023 moving forward right because that's when you need 2015s and up only
1: la long beach has a 2014 truck entry standard okay so after i think it was october 1st 2018 where they said any first time vin entrant into the dtr has to be 2014 model your truck and it can get confusing because the state goes on engine years, but the ports down here have a truck model year. And the reason why they did that, from my understanding, is is because in that 2014 truck model year is when the greenhouse gas standards, I think for phase two EPA greenhouse gas, went into effect, and they, the engines are equipped with more sophisticated onboard diagnostics. So. That was their motivation to say, if we're going to put new trucks in, we want them to be the latest standard, even though the PM and NOx criteria pollutant control is the same from 2010 engines all the way through even 2022 diesel engines that you're buying today. So it can get confusing. I'm confused. Yep. All right, <laughs> exactly. So 2014 truck, LA Long Beach for first time VIN mm-hmm. entrance. But if you had a VIN in, Prior to that one October 1st date, 2018, that was a 2010 engine, 11, Mm -hmm. 12 engine, you're good until that useful life reporting kicks in.
0: But that means regardless of
1: uh, January 1st, 2023, those are out? If you got a 2010 engine, you're okay. So 2010 engine is kind of like that threshold. Even Wait, for the ports. what? I thought so that so that truck right there would have still been good past 20. if it's got the 2010 engine in it, then yeah. 1123, the statewide standard is 2010. So as long as you're in the DTR with a pre-2014 truck before October 1st, 2018, then you're good. If you want to enter in a truck right now, it's gotta be 2014 or later. Then you're still grandfathered in because it has a 2010 or later engine so mm-hmm. that 2010 engine standard you know with DEF or you know advanced scr whatever you or advanced egr you still have compliance because that engine was built to 2010 epa and arb standards so you're good if you want to enter in a truck today it's got to be 2014 or later in la long beach truck model year everywhere else in the state oakland Stockton, Wainini, San Diego, wherever. Any other ports, you're good with a 2010 engine or 2011 truck, right? As long as it has a 2010 engine in it.
0: I say that's a bunch of fucking bullshit. I'm upset right now because this sounds like a lot of numbers, a lot of... Who the fuck has time to keep up with all that shit? If it's a matter of like... Like, let's say a crime. It's illegal to do something. Mm-hmm. It's illegal across the whole fucking board. It's not like, you know, in this county, you might get away with it right. if, if you did it before 6 p.m. You know, right. I could stab a motherfucker in the morning and, and it's right. it's okay. But, and, you know, like... Why don't why aren't they all on the same page? That's really frustrating, man. Yeah,
1: like- yeah. L. A. Long Beach has always been more progressive, and the statewide rules basically allow the port authorities to set more stringent standards. L. A. Long Beach is the only one that has a more stringent standard than anywhere else, mm-hmm. and you know, no one had challenged it at the time because, you know, it's still a diesel engine standard. You can still go purchase that truck used. It, it's it's tough to, you know. Challenge some of the clean air standards because you get demonized as being like an environmental racist because you have disproportionately impacted communities of color who suffer exposure to diesel particulate matter that basically need their health protected. And so the ARB passes the rules. You come out against them. The environmental justice groups and community groups are saying, like, your truck is killing me. Even though, you know, I talked to so many, I talked to a lot of drivers, man, you know, they all live in the same communities. Mm -hmm. They put their kids through college. They're, you know, feeding them, clothing them, housing them. And it's just not good enough because people feel like this exposure to diesel particulate matter, despite everything that's been done in the trucking industry to control those emissions, it's never enough. And that's why we're moving into this whole new horizon of zero emissions. But then again, people of color, this
0: is what I've heard already. Like, for example, a uh, L- Latino uh, couple, mm-hmm. they are owner-operators. They want to get an uh, electric trucks. Yeah. De- dealers and, and lenders don't take them seriously. So that's something it's, else there, right. too. Like.
1: Yeah. The state is putting together a, a financing program for zero-emission trucks specifically. And it really depends on the lender that you go to because some of them – work with the state right now in this program known as the California Capital Access Program, where a lender will have a, a, a portion of the loan basically subsidized by the state of California, where it's put into this reserve pool that a lender can use to mitigate their own risk. So they have a reserve pool that they can draw from if the loan goes bad. So there's lenders out there. We, we have some as members of HTA, you know, like Crossroads Equipment Lease and Finance, really tries to work with some of those smaller fleets but man the electric truck is a tough road to hoe because those trucks are 350 400000 dollars
0: yeah. then again maybe they're misinformed to a degree where they think they got a catapult all the way to zero emission right, right and, now and, they and maybe the uh, yeah. word on the street and and whoever their circle is is saying yeah. that so we need to get the right information out there Absolutely. so these people don't take those drastic yep. leaps and that increases the 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 odds you know like mm-hmm of making it as complicated as it is right now to make it out here for small business, right? So,
1: California is a very unfriendly business state, right? I mean, it's no matter what business you're in, there is a tremendous amount of downward pressure on small business especially. They pay a lot of lip service to this, you know, the state does about helping small business people, but they make it very difficult. It's expensive. You know, the weather's nice out here, right? As I always say. So, people like to stay. And, you know, the state, their perspective is, well, if you go away as a small business, some other business will step into your role and, you know, pick up the slack, so to speak, whatever it is. And unfortunately, it's not that cut and dry for people who have roots here, who have mortgages, who have kids in school. You can't just pick up and leave to Texas. It's It's not that easy. So, it makes They're, it challenging, but like you said, it's all about education. It's all about making sure people have the right information to make those informed decisions. Yeah.
0: By the way, I don't think they want us in Texas, but <laughs> <laughs> you
1: saw that billboard. <laughs> I I haven't. I, I saw, I saw Gavin Newsom's uh, billboard in Florida saying, you know, come to California. We'll we'll take your, we'll take it. But <clears throat> yeah, it's you know, again, it's not just as easy as picking up and moving. And, <laughs> There's this big push right now for zero emissions. And, you know, the truck, the zero emission truck isn't really the hardest part of the equation. Electric vehicles have been around for a long time. The heavy, heavy stuff, there's a challenge there because you got range anxiety. The trucks are much heavier than their diesel counterparts. So that just means you haul less payload, which means just more trucks on the road to move the same amount of cargo the charging infrastructure is where the problem is. There's zero public-facing charging infrastructure right now. And the state expects fleets to install their own charging infrastructure. And yeah, there's incentives out there, but a lot of these firms down here locally, especially, they don't own the land that they're on. They've been leasing either short-term or long-term from a landlord who's like, wait, you're gonna tear up my parking lot to put a bunch of charging infrastructure in? Plus you got places like the city of Carson that is putting a conditional use permit in, or they're considering it, which would prevent any existing warehouse from expanding their operations if they're going to park more trucks or stack containers.
0: They're not very trucker-friendly. They are not very trucker friendly there they was, are not uh, trucker friendly no. There was a fuel station that wanted to open up there, and they were not granted that opportunity. Yeah,
1: it's unfortunate because everybody relies on trucks so much. I mean, for those of us in the industry, we all know that you know if you got it, a truck brought it, right? Um, naked and hungry without trucks, as it's been said. And people just, you know, they just see them big and ugly and, you know, they take up room, they mess up roads.
0: Don said something on on LinkedIn, I saw it. It was like, <laughs> doctors deliver babies, mm-hmm. everything else comes in a truck. <laughs> yeah, I
1: like that. Yeah, And they wouldn't even be able to deliver the babies without the trucks, right? Because yeah. all the medical equipment, all the, you know, the pharmaceuticals, the gowns that they're wearing, the PPE, everything is all bought by truck. I mean, there's people, I think, understand it a little bit better now after the pandemic and seeing how important truckers are. But, you know, it's like not important enough to be prioritized for vaccinations, not important enough to, you know, be recognized for the hard work that they're doing. I mean, I will give this administration, the Biden administration, credit for being much more proactive about engaging the trucking industry highlighting the importance of the industry i mean granted there's there's always going to be political challenges yeah. but you know
0: I, i'd say they just it's just a timing issue whatever what is fucking They're administration great. would have been there would have had no choice but to address it otherwise yeah. it just seems like faulty leadership
1: so when there was 109 ships at anchor you know in january or whatever it was like it's impossible to ignore and if you ignore it you know, it just builds yeah, up, right? And catch some shit, yeah,
0: right. End up being a meme, right? <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. When when will diesel trucks be kicked out completely? So this is where it can get even more complicated, Luis. Right? There's this provision, as i refer referred to, useful life. Right. So back in 2017, I believe the part of SB1, which also raised diesel fuel taxes, one of the trade offs with the industry was to say, okay if we're gonna start paying even more because the highway fund is broke, they need money to repair roads, they've been pilfering money from the highway fund for years to support general fund budgetary programs in California. So they needed money. Our infrastructure is crumbling, gotta put more money into it. The only way to do it is really through diesel fuel tax. So part of the trade-off was to say, all right, well, if you're going to raise our fuel taxes, There has to be some consideration for equipment that's out there right now to be protected from the ARB just coming in and basically performing a regulatory taking, as it's called, where you say, well, too bad, so sad, your truck's out of compliance, like beat it. So the provision known as useful life, I think the code section is health and safety code section 43012 or something like that, or 21. Oh, I don't know. I don't know it (laughs) off the top of my head, so it's not that impressive. But like... It says, okay, if you have a truck that's in service in California, any rule that's passed after 2017 needs to take into account useful life. And what that means is, is you get a minimum of useful life on an engine that's in compliance. So it's not the seven through nine engines, it'd be a 2010 or later engine, right? Because that's the statewide standard and it only applies to rules written after 2017. So the on-road truck and bus rule and the drayage rule date back to like 2006, 7, and 8. So they said in those times, 7 through 9 engines, 2023, they're out. But any new rule passed after 2017, SB1 said, okay, you have to take into consideration useful life, which means 2010 engine, you have a minimum of 13 years of useful life on the engine So, right, so Mm 1123 would be when it's within its useful life window. What the new rule says is that come 1125, you need to, if you're grandfathered in, like we were talking about, right, either you have that 2014 truck in LA Long Beach after 1118, or you have that 2010 engine before 118, 1018 that's been grandfathered in. Come 1125, the state of California is it going to expect any truck in drayage service, and that's across the state. So this is a statewide rule that includes all the maritime ports as well as intermodal rail yards. Everything this time. Everything okay. that is intermodal related. The trucks that don't do intermodal or drayage have a different rule set that they have to deal with. But for drayage, it says 1125, you, Mr. or Mrs. Mm-hmm. Truck Owner, need to start reporting your mileage through oh, okay. the database, right? And there's another provision, there's the inspection and maintenance rule, which is basically the diesel smog check, which is going to require you to report engine performance information two times a year starting next year. So they are going to not only require you to report into the DRAGE truck registry, mileage, model year, name, rank, serial number, but they're also going to require you to report your engine performance data if you have a 2013 or later engine that has this advanced onboard diagnostics, let's call it. The advanced onboard diagnostics will tell you exactly how many miles that engine has, so there's really no way around needing to report. But it starts 1125, right? So if I have a 2010 engine, 2023 it's 13 years old, 2024 it's 14 years old, 2025 it says, okay, now you need to start reporting. Even though you turn 13 and 23, the rule says it starts 1125 to report. So you report your mileage in 1125. By, like, I think February 15th or something, by that date, you need to report your mileage. If you're under 800,000 miles, then you can continue to operate that 13, 15, whatever-year-old engine. But you still got to be doing those things. You still got to be reporting, Okay. So you got to report as soon as that turns 13 years old. So the rule says, okay, 2023, you're still in compliance. 2024, you're still in compliance, but come 2025, if you report and you're over 800,000 miles, they basically boot you out of the DTR. If you're under 800,000 miles, you continue to report. And what they say is that you start reporting when the truck's 12 years old, the truck model year is Mm -hmm. 12 years old, but that typically means the engine's gonna be 13 years old because the engine's typically one year older than the truck model year. Because just just like we buy today, if I wanna go buy a new truck, like, good luck, right, trying to find one out there on, on the lot. There's very few stock trucks these dealers have. But if I bought a truck today, it would be basically a 2022 engine and a 2023 model year truck. So when the engine turns 13, truck turns 12 years old, you start this reporting, 800,000 miles, you're out. Starts 1125, 125 they move you out. If you're under 800,000, you report then the next year still under 800,000 miles, you continue to report. And as long as you're under 800,000 miles, you're okay until the engine turns 18 years old. So you have these two bookends. You got 18 years or 13 years. Then in between it is 800,000 miles. So if you're under 800,000 miles at age 17, you're okay. But come the next year when that engine turns 18 years old, doesn't matter if you have 200,000 miles on it, 18 years old, you're out.
0: So it's like a little sequence, right? There's got to be a either or whichever
1: comes first type of deal. Exactly. But it starts on 13 years old. So you're okay One, if you're under 13 years old, you're okay. Even if you have a million miles and you're less than 13 years old, you're okay.
0: Oh, then that's beneficial too because yeah yeah a lot of guys are buying trucks that have been over the road and they already buy them at like 600,000 right, miles right. and up so
1: and you know we kind of know in Drage service it's like it depends if you're local or regional you're 40 50,000 maybe 60,000 miles a year if you're not coming from Arizona or the valley then Central Valley that is then you know you're you have a few years even on those higher mileage trucks before you're gonna get to 800,000 but as soon as you hit 800,000 once that engine's 13 years old, up to 18 years, then they're going to boot you out of the DTR.
0: And that's—is there someone that enforces it and and comes take to take a physical look at the uh, odometer? Or
1: you know what I mean? It's an honor system, so you have to basically they they'll likely require you to report uh, either a photo of your od- odometer. You'll need to possibly su- supply like 90-day inspection reports that have not, that have the odometer written down they always have to stay up they
0: have to match all
1: the time exactly and so you know you've got people who have replaced dashes right clusters where you get a new odometer they're going to base it on the vehicle miles that are whatever that odometer says but if your odometer says like you know 100 miles and you have a 13 year old truck because you just replaced the odometer then they're going to go default to the engine and whatever that engine ecm basically is telling you or 90 day inspection reports i smell a lot of uh, creativity coming well you know the arb's been doing this long enough that they kind (laughs) of they kind of know these you know tricky ways for people to get around the stuff and sometimes man i tell people like look you're going to spend so much time and energy in trying to you know subvert the law that you're almost just better off spending that time and energy in trying to replace the equipment because the other thing too, and which is unfortunate, but as soon as this rule passes, it will absolutely prevent you from repowering to a later model year engine. Because it's based on vehicle miles, it's based on the original equipment that was built into that truck at time of production. So even if you went and got a brand new 2022 engine today and put it in, it would not be in compliance when the rule basically starts requiring that reporting. And I know people have repowered, yeah. And it's unfortunate because it, it gives you statewide compliance, but just not for drainage service.
0: Huh. Give me a second here. I had something related to that. Sure. Kind of about the repowering. Um, yeah, that that question was: Can a trucker keep the old truck but upgrade a newer engine instead? And so there's that answer, huh?
1: Yeah, no is the short answer mm-hmm. for drainage service. And again, drainage service is all if, models, all years. Every model doesn't even matter. Doesn't matter what the truck model year is, doesn't matter what the new engine model year is. If you want to go into dredge service, they will not allow that for compl- compliance pathway.
0: Why not? I mean, if the engine, if you can find a way to certify that this meets the, the, the standards, yep. it's just like
1: the heart of the operation. That's what, it, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing you, man. And the, the motivation is to move the dredge fleet to zero emissions really before any other segment in California. Even the light-duty passenger vans, you know, and medium-heavy, sorry, the medium, light-medium-heavy, you know, the, the package delivery trucks that we all see in our neighborhoods every day, they don't have as an aggressive the, as a schedule as the heavy, heavy drayage trucks. And it goes back to this health risks, exposure for sensitive receptors. Man. It's, it's tough, I'm telling you.
0: I, I would see a, a 1995 Peterbilt in the ports. Mm-hmm. And it had a 2009 10 engine in it, yep. so that I wouldn't be able to do that again. And this time around, no.
1: And in that situation, you wouldn't have until 1 125 where you need to start reporting. Granted, has to be a 2010 engine, right? Because a seven through nine guys, no matter what, you're out. But if it's a 2010 engine or later, and come 1 125 when you need to start reporting that's when the jig is up so to speak. Mm-hmm. And you know, ARB has the ability to put registration holds on. You know, they'll send you a letter that says basically you need to prove to us what engineer you have. Not to mention the marine terminals are responsible for more or less enforcement of this rule where which the ARB is basically providing them with police powers, let's say, to to reject non-compliant vehicles for those non-automated gates. Right, because LA Long Beach is a pretty sophisticated marine terminal complex. It's a lot of automated gates, a lot of auto in gate. Places like, you know, Stockton doesn't have auto in gate, So it requires somebody to determine whether or not that truck meets the in-use standards for drayage trucks. Then they need to report that information to the ARB. And if you're on that list, then you're going to hear from the ARB one way or another. And of course, they're at weigh stations, right? And CHP will flag you in if ARB says that truck looks suspicious or if it's smoking. You know, flag it in for additional additional inspection. And if they find that you have, you know, you're pulling a container and you have a bill of lading that says whatever on it, and it's from Shanghai or wherever it's from on the other end, they're going to look at it and they're going to determine whether or not that truck's in compliance or not. And, you know, whether they, I don't, I I haven't heard as of yet of the ARB, like forcing CHP to put a non-compliant truck out of service on the spot, but you're definitely going to get the citation and likely some type of registration hold because people, you know, this, we're clever, right? We're a can-do industry, but ARB's seen so many people try to circumvent the rules that they've set up every contingency plan that they can think of to prevent people from doing that. Man, yeah.
0: Uh, one, one last question about the eight hundred uh, yeah. thousand mile rule. Like, so what happens if within those miles the engine has been rebuilt many times? That it doesn't void it out or what? Rebuild
1: does it? is okay, right? Yeah, because you're not repowering. Okay. So if you keep rebuilding, that's okay. Now I would say that you want to keep that truck registered, actively, not putting it on non-op. But does it reset the miles now because now this and They're gonna go off whatever the odometer says.
0: Then the other thing will take over then, the 13 exactly. years or- Exactly, exactly. Okay.
1: So, you know, you have, you know, you got an 800,000 mm-hmm. mile engine right now, you do an in-frame, you get it rebuilt. It's, it's okay, because that, that engine year is not gonna change. Your mileage, again, it doesn't matter if it's been rebuilt, it's whatever that odometer says. And Again, you replace the odometer; it's going to raise a red flag with the ARB, and they're going to do some further investigations. Now, whether or not they show up at your house or wherever you've registered your truck remains to be seen. I wouldn't put it past them necessarily, but they'll find you eventually. Mm-hmm. So that's why they want people to report the mileage on their truck, and they're going to they're going to look at it and scrutinize what these mileage reporting you know reporting is 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 communicated to them. So you re- in frame you're still at 800,000 miles, but you don't need to start reporting until that engine turns 13 years old, beginning 2025. So, right, I got a 2015 engine, turns 13 years old in 2028. 1128 is when I need to start reporting. I got a 2010 engine, even though I turned 13 in 2023, the reporting doesn't start for everybody. Until 1 125. Yeah. Okay. So you get a couple years that, even though you've hit that initial useful life, you get a couple years before you would have to start reporting. But once you need to start reporting, even if you in frame that thing as shiny, sparkly, brand spanking, rebuild, out if it's over 800,000 miles. Okay. And so they'll just boot you from the DTR, and then, especially down here on the auto in gate or in the automated gate, they just basically ping the statewide DTR to make sure you're in compliance. And so if you've been booted out of the DTR, in theory, the marine terminals will not let you enter into their property to pick up boxes because you're not meeting the standards.
0: So overall, someone with a, with a truck like 2009,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that – 2009, 2010 – that's going out January 1st? Basically seven, eight, or nine engines.
1: So 2008 truck, 2009, 2010 truck, yeah.
0: And it's grandfathered in. What, what can they do on uh, January 1st? Are they really
1: fucked? So got to remember that there is zero consideration for somebody who has a seven through nine engine that hasn't tried to get this September 1st purchase order consideration. Come one one they're out. It's seven through nine engines, mm. and so that's why it's important. I always tell people, you know, if you're not familiar with your engine tag, you know, you need to get familiar with it, like, right now. Yeah, I think there's an issue there with the, the,
0: the model and the, you know what I mean, the, the make and the… Right, because the truck years
1: typically yeah. one year newer than the engine. engine. check that stamp check on Check that it. stamp, okay. exactly. If you don't have an engine tag, it's like a $300 fine from the ARB right away. Okay you have to go to a uh, the OEM that is, you know, certified to do repair on that particular engine or a mechanic shop or whatever. Typically you go to parts counter. You know, if you got a Freightliner, you go to the VVG dealership over in Carson. You have you order your new engine tag, they'll install it, you know, it ranges in cost because it has to be installed by the dealer or by that certified mechanic for the new engine tag. And that's basically what they determine. I mean, cause man, I've seen engine tags from that vintage seven, eight, nine engines that have been power washed off, or even the, the stamp has been rubbed down that you can't really make it out. It has to be clearly legible and visible to any inspector. And that's how they determine. It's got your engine family number on it, which is more or less what the OEMs use to determine levels of emissions controls. But what the ARB looks at is just the year seven eight or nine engines they're out the only caveat is if you went to a dealer put a purchase order in deposit whatever that dealer requires they give you a purchase order, a legally binding purchase order contract that's dated on or before september 1st right now of this year so like two weeks ago or whatever if you have that then you report it to the arb they will allow you to run your old seven, eight, or nine engine until that new truck delivers.
0: Oh, okay, what if, let's say I give a down payment to, to do that, yeah. right? I'll give 5000 down or whatever yeah. to make that order. Yeah. I just bought myself a.
1: Until that new truck delivers, yeah. Yeah, but well, what
0: if when it delivers, then I just cancel and I just paid the five grand to buy myself time? That's, Allegedly, I'm just saying. Right, that. Right, just, right, right. Exactly. Like, you know what? I don't want it after all, but I'm right. thankful that I used my truck an extra year and I made my 150, my 170k. You, will, you know, yeah, you know.
1: will. right, exactly. So you will lose the fight. You'll lose the deposit, obviously, yeah. and that would just be a conversation with the dealer. Yeah. As far as the arb is concerned, they would come back and say, "Well, why didn't you take the truck?" And it's like, "Well, because whatever, yeah, For whatever reason. I'm leaving the yeah. marketplace." I realized you know I can't afford it Have yeah, they thought about uh, scenarios like that
0: oh yeah I, I bet huh
1: yeah but they're they're putting it back on that's why they say it's legally binding but it's gonna be up to the dealer to determine what that the boundaries of legally binding means yeah because if a dealers kind of looking at you sideways when you're coming in and you know they aren't necessarily convinced that you might take delivery your deposit is probably not gonna be five grand it's probably gonna be like 20 grand
0: Ah, there you go. You know, so
1: they want to make it where. Because dealers don't want us to be sitting on trucks. But yeah, you know, I hear where you're going. But first of all, you have to find a dealer who's going to give you an order in the first place. Because right now, it's still kind of reeling from the semiconductor shortages, still reeling from kind of these outrageous prices. You have OEMs that have prioritized these large orders from the big guys. That, you know, if you go to a dealer, you're like, man, I need to place an order for a truck. They're like, we literally, as a dealer, have been limited our allocation from the OEM to say, like, I can't even place an order as a dealer with the OEM. So they're not going to allow you to place an order with the dealer because the dealer can't place an order with the OEM. I mean, we have fleets, you know, and again, HTA, we have fleets of all shapes, sizes, colors, whatever. I've got guys who are multi-generational trucking companies. Their grandfather started it, their dad ran it. Now they're kind of, now they're doing it. Go to dealers and say, "I need 20 trucks. I got 20 2007 through nine engines." Dealers like, "I can only give you five. I can only give you 10 because I don't have enough order slots with the OEMs to build all 20." Mm. So it doesn't matter. And plus, you know, I mean, it just it, they want you to come in with approved financing from somewhere. A lot of times they want C twenty percent down, which with a new truck you know today, I mean those things I've seen the purchase orders. I mean we're talking one hundred eighty thousand dollars for a new truck these days or more quarter mil, exactly with
0: COVID rates. And now exactly. I wonder how they're doing because those rates are not Prices the same. Prices have
1: been coming down a little bit on the you know the retail truck side, but nothing where it was pre pandemic. Yeah. I mean, like you said, $250,000 out the door after FET and sales tax for a brand new sleeper configured diesel DD13, DD15, whatever, automatic DT12, you know, nice truck, 200 grand, easy, like no problem. And so you got to finance that. And the finance company is going to look at whatever they feel that truck value is. And then they might come back and say, well, we need even more money down from you. And so it's, it's challenging. Like, I feel for people out there right now, man. I, I wish there was something we could do. I mean, we have a lot of dealers as sponsor members of HTA, and we try to promote them to say, hey, look, go talk to these guys. They kind of know the market, they understand the challenges you're under. We have a couple finance companies that will help. Um, but it's a matter of taking that step because, like, as you and I know, a lot of people wait till the last minute before they start doing something. oh yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. And then it's too late, because everyone else is waiting till the last minute, and the dealer's like, I don't have any trucks for you, you know? So
0: who profits in, in these regulations? Because like, the small biz, it seems like they're the most affected. So do you think that's like a tactic to push them out?
1: Man, on its face, it sure does feel like it. Of course, the state of California will never admit that, and what they say, who profits, or who benefits from these type of rules, are those people who are exposed to diesel particulate matter that mm-hmm. it impacts their health right so they say that you're going to we're going to save money on the healthcare system in California because now there's less asthma there's less cancer even because there's not as much exposure to diesel particulate so that's how they justify a lot of the rules is because they have a health savings that goes along with it for those people who would be disproportionately impacted by exposure to emissions from the goods movement sector but the businesses, you know you got three choices pass it on to your customers suck it up absorb the costs or go away those are pretty much your three choices
0: yeah because there's not really much uh there may be some right like for example organizations like hta that are, are trying to help but there's not really much like transition assistance for these guys trying to comply you know what i mean you and still
1: got to spend money i mean i'll tell you in my previous role i did a lot of grants for yeah. small fleets you know for diesel replacement yeah. Yeah. and we i'd go and talk to some of these folks and i'd be like look this is the last year that you're going to get money to replace your diesel truck with another diesel truck 60 grand you could get for a new diesel vehicle i'm gonna wait ah uh, they can, can't do this right they'll never be able to do this it's too expensive. What happens when all the trucks stop? I'm just like, look, man, you know, I mean, yeah, I get it. We all know that trucks are an integral part of the economy that support everything in this state wouldn't function without trucks. But it's kind of this mentality, you're like, ah, eh, you know, either waiting till the last minute and then all the diesel to diesel grants go away. And the only thing that's available to you is this financing program through the state of California, which is still a loan that you still need to pay back that still requires some level of down payment. So there's some support out there for replacing with diesel. It's, it's a non-starter right now outside of that finance program. All the grants now are for the LONOX, CNG, LNG, natural gas engines, right, or zero emissions, battery electric or hydrogen. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because the big companies that can afford it, they're, they're complying easy, right? I've never seen this before. Like, what could be a customer is a carrier now. Like, I saw um Living Spaces trucks. Mm-hmm. You've heard of Living Spaces? <clears throat> yep. They got their own fleet. Yeah. And chassis. Chassis, too. Right, exactly. Yep. That's crazy. Like, that's that was someone's customer at one point.
1: Right. And they just cre- <laughs> create their own private fleet. Wow. Right? You know? The, and because they're, it's easier for them to control costs. And plus, a lot of people... I mean, AB5, as we kind of spoke about before, it's like, yeah, now it's in effect, but I mean, it's been around since the Dynamics Dynamics ruling, which goes back to 2018, right? And so people have seen the writing on the wall, and some of these customers say, look, I can't gamble with my supply chain. I'm just going to suck it up, and we're going to go buy trucks and find drivers and buy chassis because they don't want to deal with the pool and they just kind of, you know, go through the motions that way. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting to see that cuz these private fleets, they're, you know, they want to try to support their own operations as much as possible and if they can get around it by ordering a lot of diesel trucks. I mean, right now, every month when I look at the DTR statistics, there's more and more trucks being put into the DRAGE Truck Registry to get ahead of that 1124 date, which basically after 1124 You can't put anything else into the DTR statewide unless it's zero emissions. And people putting tons of diesel trucks into the works. Yeah. So they'll be in there. You got to visit the port one time a year to maintain eligibility or a covered facility. But, you know, they're putting more. I mean, just from July of to the current, I think there's 1,400 more trucks that have been put into the drayage truck registry.
0: And the main contributors to that uh, growth. Or which type of carriers?
1: <laughs> I feel like it's the larger, you know, especially asset-based guys. Yeah, yeah. We
0: gotta look out for the little guys, man. They're pushing us out, man.
1: I, for I, my opinion, yeah. but I, man, I'm hearing you, and you know, I feel the pain, and you know, when I have when I talk to folks, I'm like, look, you got to, you have to be proactive, because if you're not, if you just expect like, oh, th- you know, there, there's no way they can do this. Like I've heard that. So many times, even going back to the first iteration, you know, in the ports when 2012 it was supposed to be everyone's supposed to be seven through nine engines. You know, this is kind of two clean trucks 3.0, mostly at this yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Right. But even back then, they can't do this to me. There's no way. Yeah. Well, they did, and they're going to. Yeah. And unless someone sues the ARB over the new advanced clean fleets rule, then this is going to be the law of the land.
0: Will owner operators with 2015 and up see a spike in rates uh, 2023, do you think? I would... Or, or 14 and up, my bad. Yeah, Whatever would, the the, ye- the yeah. ideal year
1: is to have. In, I, I in... would venture, you know, and as a non-profit association, we don't get into rates because it's antitrust, right? But, one, rates have come up, is my understanding, since the pandemic. But if we just kind of think about supply and demand, if we're talking up to 20%, or more of the full container moves that are done in LA and Long Beach are done by 2007 through 2009 engines. If you remove 20% of the capacity overnight, basically, supply and demand, if there's less supply, demand goes up as do prices. And so customers, you know, these shippers, it depends, you know, if you're a onesie, twosie container a year because you're doing snow globes or something or or whatever compared to like, you know, thousands of containers of tennis shoes or what have you, then your pricing is going to be different. But everyone knows this is coming. This has not been a secret. And so if you're a compliant owner operator right now or a small motor carrier under AB5, then your expenses relative to maintaining that vehicle, I think should be commensurate with the rate that you're getting to operate that vehicle. That you said it right
0: now overnight. overnight. So are, are the terminals or e-moto whatever? Um, I don't want to say held. Would they be held responsible? But is it up to them to impede your entry? Co- I, let's say I have the truck that's not compliant in, in on paper, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, January first, twenty twenty three, yep. and I still pull up and attempt to take my load out. If they let me enter and complete my transaction, are the terminals? Aiding me to,
1: yes, and that would be then their responsibility to. They don't, don't want to
0: take on that, right? So they're going to cut us off. like They're going
1: to they're going to ping the DTR, and if you're not compliant in the DTR, more or less, they'll red light you, mm. or they'll give you a trouble ticket to go trouble, and they'll say, "Look, you're out of compliance. You got to get out of here." Yeah. But if they allow you to operate, pull a pull a can out, then theoretically, now the way the rules work is they're on the hook. They're supposed to report that information Mm -hmm. to the ARB that they let you in, and then possibly face citation from the ARB for allowing you to enter into the property. So from that perspective, they don't want to because A, it's easier to do an automated ping the DTR out of compliance, you're not coming in. But how will they brag about their TEU's move? (laughs) Right, well, (laughs) we'll see, 20% goes overnight. You know, that's why we need to get more productive. And in my conversation with the marine terminals, you know, the terminals, they're in between, in the middle of a lot of things, right? Between the BCOs, the ports, the lines, the unions, the truckers. They're, they're kind of just in the middle. Sometimes equipment breaks down, right? Sometimes their toss goes down. Mm-hmm. Sometimes labor isn't available or they didn't hire enough gangs. Whatever it is, turn times are still, you know, averaging 90 minutes. You're still talking about 25% of the turn times are over two hours. We need to get way more productive if we're going to lose 20% of the capacity overnight. You can't, you know, even though they're putting more trucks into the drainage truck register, it doesn't mean that that truck is attached to a driver. It's just a VIN to have that kind of padding to say, okay, well, if I need to go in, especially the asset-based guys, like, okay, that truck's out, you're going in this truck, here's your truck for today. So, we need to get way more efficient because you know, I see the reports, there's still dudes who are sitting down there seven, eight hours. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's not uncommon. So, how am I supposed to move 20 million TEUs? And again, 70% of all the cargo that comes here is moved by truck. It's only 30% that's rail, and rail has their own issues right now, obviously, on dock, but um, we need to get more productive. And hours of service constrain drivers from, you know, driving over the allotted time. And plus, you know, they can open up Sunday gates all the, they want to. When I Again, when I talk to drivers, they don't want to work on Sundays. They want to spend time with their family. You know, they want to do some extracurricular activities. We're all still human beings here at yeah. the end of the day, man. And if you do a weekend day, typically you got to burn a day during the week in order to comply with that hours of service. And so, you know, there's no shortage of challenges, but we're going to have to figure out how to get more efficient and productive and that is going to require buy-in from every stakeholder in the maritime container movement. If they want to keep up that volume, even though a lot of it went to New York, New Jersey and eastern seaboard right now, it's going to come back.
0: Yeah, yeah, it will for sure. It will
1: because there's 30 some odd ships ships outside of Savannah. You know, they only have a couple berths there. PCO shippers aren't going to stand for that for long. They try to get ahead of the ILWU contract. We're seeing a softening in consumer spending, but I mean, you can only take so much. Thirty ships in Savannah or wherever, twenty-seven ships in Houston is like having like two hundred ships at anchor here in Long Beach, LA, Long Beach.
0: How do we get that information to know where um, any amount of ships it is at any given time? Is there like is that public information? There's a couple somewhere? places. So
1: the Marine Exchange mm-hmm. here in LA. And for Long Beach as well. They're based right here in San Pedro. Um, You can go and you can subscribe and get weekly updates to daily, excuse me, daily updates about how many ships are in route, how many ships are within the 40 nautical miles to 150, how many are within 40 nautical miles, how many are at berths. But one place you can look at it is at the Port of LA's website. Basically, their cargo operations dashboard there's a one icon there that's like, I think it's just operation, daily operations report. You can click on that and it'll bring up like a PowerPoint slide PDF that says, here's how many vessels are from in, within 40 nautical miles. Here's how many are at birth. Here's how many are within 40 to 150 nautical miles. Here's how many are from point of origin <clears throat> to the 150 nautical miles so you can look and see and right now i think it's you know just above 50 total that are from point of origin all the way to la long beach and you know that's because of the queuing system that the marine exchange and pmsa put in effect because having 109 ships at anchor where everybody and their uncle can see you know like you said people asking you i'm sure like oh you're in what's going on why are there so many ships out there it's complicated but nevertheless we will never see that many ships in eyeball sight of, you know, they're hiding behind Catalina. Out of they're sight. floating down in Mexico, right? Out of sight, out of mind, right? Yeah. Oh,
0: man. Look, uh, that's a lot of information to take it in. Is. So we're almost out of time. On the way out, can we end it with just a quick little re-run re, um, it? Buy me one more
1: time. Absolutely, the truck requirements to work the ports, like today, unless you're grandfathered in. Okay, come one one twenty three, two thousand seven through two thousand nine engines on one one twenty three will more or less be denied access to marine terminals in California. They will or or intermodal rail yards, and you will have your registration denied by the DMV in twenty twenty three. Seven through nine engines, basically, they're on the chopping block, they're out. Now, there's some confusion because you can technically sell your truck in California, even though it's non-compliant, you can sell it to someone else in California, as long as you give them a disclosure that says, this truck may be subject to rules in California. Now, how you register that non-compliant truck is a whole nother process. But on its face, seven through nine engines, done. 2010 and later engines are in compliance.
0: And later, what do you mean by later? later. So like newer. newer. But
1: so then 2010 said 2014 and up for, to go in. For first time VIN entry. First entrance. time, okay. So if I want to put a truck in the DTR right now for service in LA Long Beach, mm-hmm. 2014 model year truck. Mm-hmm. If you have a 2010 engine mm-hmm. that's already in service and has mm-hmm. been in service mm-hmm. since before October 1st, 2018, you're good. You're in compliance with a 2010 engine, okay? Even though the first VIN entry standard, first time VIN entry standard, if I want to go buy a truck right now, I just found a 2014, I can put it in because it's 2014 truck model year. I can't put in a 2010 engine right now be just LA Long Beach. Everywhere else it's okay. LA Long Beach says 2014 truck model year if you're a first-time VIN entrant. But if you're already in and you're in 2010, you're good. now you fall
0: under the 800,000 exactly. mile rule. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Or the, Use, useful life.
1: See, it's, it's making more sense, okay? You just got to keep chipping away yeah. at it. Right?
0: I like how you're going through the years, you know.
1: Yeah, like. like it, can, it can be confusing. Like we were yeah. just saying earlier, 20, wait, it's truck model year in LA Long Beach, but it's engine model year everywhere else. Rule of thumb 2014 truck, LA Long Beach, first time VIN. Everyone else has 2010 or later engine, later newer, you're grandfathered in Mm -hmm. until you need to start reporting as the rule is currently proposed on 1125. Then you now need to start reporting your mileage. Okay. If your engine is 13 years old, Mm -hmm. come 1125. So I'm a 2010 engine, 1125. I'm, tw- I'm a 15-year-old engine now, 2010 engine, 2025, right? I'm not a good, you're great at math, but that's 15 years. <laughs> so you're above that 13-year threshold. So they'll say, now you need to start reporting. If you're over 800,000 miles when your first reporting requirement kicks up, then you're out of the system. If you're under 800,000 miles when your first reporting threshold starts, you can continue to operate until you get to 800,000 miles, or that engine turns 18 years old. Mm-hmm. So it's those bookends. 13 mm-hmm. years, 18 years, 800,000 miles in between. So is this time frame correct? 10 to 14, or is it 10 to 13? 10 through basically any engine model year. Right? For the grandfathered-in ones? Grandfathered-in. If you're 10 through 13, okay, 10 to you're 13. in. That's Can engine. I sell it to another party? The only caveat being is is as it is right now, according to the ports, and, you know, I mean, the only way to figure this out is to try it, right? Uh, But from what I've heard from them is that if the VIN is in the DTR today and it's grandfathered in, that you can sell that to somebody else and they can operate it because that VIN is still in the DTR. But when the new rule goes into effect, when they adopt the new rule and they determine it to be in effect, you cannot do that anymore. It's only original owner. So those th- 10 through 13 engines, those are grandfathered in. Mm-hmm. But so are 2014, 15, 16, 17. Any engine model year that's currently in the DTR today is good to go. Okay, okay. <laughs> you're good. If you're in the DTR right now or you want to put another engine into the DTR, you're okay. With the caveat that if it's LA Long Beach, it's 2014 or model year truck or later if you want to put one in today, right now. So say I just for some reason I want to jump into the drayage business. I need to have a 2014 truck to go register it for the first time in LA Long Beach. If I've been operating here, I'm good to go. I'm grandfathered in, but I got to start reporting 1125 if my engine is 13 years old in 2025. So like if I'm a 2016 engine, right? I wouldn't have to start reporting until I'm 20 until 2029. Because at 2016, add 13 years onto that engine, 2029 would be when I need to start reporting. But if my engine's 13 years old in 2025, 14 years old, 15 years old, right? Because in 2010, in 2025, is going to be 15 years old. But it started that clock ticking in 2013.
0: I'm just fucking nodding my head, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. oh, <laughs> you know man, what came to mind right
1: now? That movie Numbers, and I just saw... Right, a bunch right, of, just you're, numbers you're like, fucking... <laughs> moving around in the atmosphere right I'm hearing you
0: is it a myth that you lose your grandfathered in uh status if you fail to pay the clean truck fee which no one reminds you what day it is it's up to you
1: to know it's up to you to know <laughs> it's up to you to is that know. true though and you yes, lose your, yeah it was if you're no race not period. active I haven't heard of one you know if you can go to them and say like look so blah blah whatever happened maybe they'll make case-by-case considerations mm. but on its face if you're not active which means you're registration is up to date mm-hmm. your clean truck fee is up to date as soon as you start blowing that off you're you're
0: out basically. you lose that grandfather day you will day. lose that
1: grandfather day
0: and no one said that before like they like lo- they want you to like not know i right.
1: think and you know LA long beach has again their their standards are different than oakland you got to pay the D, the re- the normal dtr for the statewide it's like you just need to make sure that you're continually operating yeah. and you're reporting any changes to your fleet to them statewide because it's intermodal rail yards too and the intermodal rail yards if you're 80 miles away from a maritime port or do more than 100 truck trips per day then you're an intermodal rail yard per day on average over Mm -hmm. a month you're an intermodal rail yard you're subject to the same exact rules that someone coming into a maritime port would be so you can get grandfathered in across the state if you have that 2010 engine you're good until you need to start reporting and when you start reporting and that's 2010 engine, 11, 12, 13, even up to 2022 model year engine. When that 2022 engine turns 13 years old, needs to start reporting.
0: Okay, all right. I don't want to take any more of your time. Well, I know we, you're we a busy could, guy. I we see could you sit everywhere. Here all
1: day, man. We could sit here all man. day and I'm I appreciate what you do, Luis. Honestly, you do a great job of trying to get the word out there, brother. And
0: I hope I did these questions just this like cuz A lot of the answers come if the question is good. Right.
1: You know what? (laughs) That's why we should say that because one thing that the ARB, in having had dealt with them for so long, one of the things that they say, and I've had conversations with them before, is that, well, but you told this truck operator this. Their response is typically, well, they didn't ask the right question. Okay. So you need to ask the right question to get the right answer. And you're doing a good job asking the right question because, but it's, You know, it's drinking from the fire hose, without a doubt. And I'm happy to come back anytime. We can see what the feedback is, you know, from some of the followers once we put this out there. And if there's more confusion, we can do it. You know, maybe we look at doing, like, an in-person meeting somewhere. I'm happy to come out and explain it. Yeah, a little uh, clean truck workshop. Exactly. Let's
0: do it. Exactly. We'll shake on it right now. All right, I'm in. All right? I'm in. And I must admit, I had some help from the followers for these questions. Right
1: on. You know, so good job, guys. Right on. And All right. Keep it up, man. And I'll tell you, one thing we have is our Trucker Advantage Program with HTA. <clears throat> you go to our website, harbortruckers.org or .com. You can sign up for the TAP, Trucker Advantage Program. Mm-hmm. It's free. You get in there. We have a marketplace for just four TAP members. You get 25% cents off at Harbor Truck Stop for fuel. We have a bunch of other vendors. We have an insurance provider now. That's solely for small fleets. There's a special program through Epic Insurance Brokers. We
0: mm-hmm. have
1: registration services. New Ventures? Our... Yeah, this is one of the – We'll, know, we'll this look is into it. The... Right, I've been yeah. getting
0: that question a lot right. because AB5, it's, it sparked a bunch of like
1: – If you have driving history, yeah, it's going to be – that's what's going to start driving it. And there is the challenge. But they know – if, you if you're have if you just coming in off the street and you're like, I want to be a truck driver and I want to start <laughs> – it's going to be difficult. Yeah. Or it's going to be prohibitively expensive. So new ventures will be tough. But if you have a driving history, clean driving record, they'll look at you for sure. By the way, I
0: heard you got to keep that old license. DMV no longer keeps a record of, you know, your old. Um, that's going to be your experience, that license.
1: Mm, man. Yeah.
0: So now the, day, the new issue, that's your experience that day. That's what I heard. So we got to look into that, guys. So. Definitely,
1: definitely. Knowledge is, you know, helpful. It can be confusing but you know this is going to create a whole new type of business person down here in la long beach for the small fleets between ab5 between the clean trucks rule for folks who want to maintain their independence there's a lot of steps that are going to take it's going to cost it's going to cost extra money compared to what everyone was normally used to as a leased on owner op
0: well hopefully the reward matches the you know ideally you know
1: supply and demand drivers are in the driver's seat there there is this cargo does not move without drivers and this industry and like I said sign up for the TAP at Harbor Truckers we disseminate information all the time out there plus it's a good way to kind of reach out you know we have several hundred owner operators small fleets rather in the system right now so we are more than willing to come and talk to you know other firms with their drivers I've done it many many times right. so we just we'll look at something we'll get something on the books and uh, we'll make it happen man (laughs) All right, thank
0: you guys for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Peace. Right on. Thanks, Louise.